Benjamin, bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing I Do, I Do! There's a strange new world that you enter when you say I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. You can almost see that, that the future's gonna, gonna be a dream. First, how are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. As always, I advise our listeners to slow down. That is the advice that I feel I have given in previous episodes, but I feel the need to say it again. I, I You know, if you get an email, if you get a text message, don't lean into the idea that you have to respond right away. Just slow down. Let them wait. Let them wait. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while since I've I've given some sort of homespun advice. Just imagine me as a little old man on a porch, just telling the kids of today to slow down. I also want to say congratulations to the oh the latest batch of Tony nominees for best musical and Juliet. All oh, you people, can you see? Can you see how they they do that song right? Kimberly Akimbo, she's a teenager who looks like an older lady. New York, New York, where they sing songs like, I love New York. Shucked, of course, ah, it's time to get shucked. And some like it hot, not to be confused with sugar, because sugar does not exist anymore. No one's allowed to produce sugar. This is an Aaron Sorkin to kill a mockingbird situation. All pretty Previous versions of Some Like It Hot no longer exist. You can only do this version. <laughs> this version. Okay, so congratulations to all of those shows. Once a winner has been declared, we will, of course, add all of those shows to our agenda, and eventually we will dedicate full episodes to them. But we, 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 we all the way home. We got to talk about I Do, I Do, which is our latest main feed subject. Show me the show facts regarding I Do, I Do, you say? Okay, I do, I do, I will, I will. Today's subject is based on the 19th 1950 Jan de Hartog play The Four Poster. The first adaptation of Hartog's play was The Four Poster. The original play's title was The Four Poster. That's one word, Four Poster. The name of the movie is The Four Poster. Two words, The Four Poster. That is a 1952 film starring Rex Harrison and Lily Palmer. The movie features animated sequences from UPA, United Productions of America, the studio that produced former subject of M3, the movie musical man, Gay Paris. Meow! The decision to turn the four-poster into a musical was made by producer David Merrick, who said, Stop the world! This would cost almost nothing to produce! Two actors! Are you kidding me? One set! 
Oh, so cheap. I Do, I Do was a 1967 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on December 5th, 1966 at the 46th Street Theater and ran for 560 performances. The book was written by Tom Jones, music by Harvey Schmidt, lyrics by Tom Jones. Hello again, Tom. Director Gower Champion, old friend Gower Champion, musical director John Lesko, orchestrations Philip J. Lang. We do not have have a choreographer. We don't even have a staging by credit. No, we don't. I'm sorry. I have to keep moving. Scenic design, Oliver Smith. Lighting design, Gene Rosenthal. Hello again, Gene. Sound design, N.A. No sound designer. Costume design, Freddie Whittup. Original Broadway cast. Well, this is easy. As I said, two actors, Mary Martin. She's the real thing, as we recall. Ethel Merman is a fraud. Pass it along. And her co-star is Robert Preston. Ah, yes, of course. We know Robert Preston. Yes, you do. You do. And if you don't, uh, well, well, we'll learn more about him as the show continues. <laughs> Tony Nods. Okay, so the production won Best Actor in a Musical, which went to Robert Preston, of course. Additional nominations. Best Musical. Best Composer and Lyricist. Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt. Best Actress in a Musical. Mary Martin. Best Scenic Design. Oliver Smith. Best Costume Design. Freddie Whittup. And Best Direction of a Musical. Gower Champion. Seven nominations in total. One award when all was said and done. Let's Oh, let's talk about the plot. I Do, I Do chronicles the 50-year marriage of Michael and Agnes, beginning with their wedding ceremony in 1895. Michael carries Agnes over the threshold and into the bedroom, where they prepare to make love for the first time. Unless otherwise noted, every scene that follows takes place in the bedroom. I can almost hear David Merrick moaning from the back of the house. Oh, so inexpensive to produce! Like many a blushing bride, Agnes is nervous when it comes to the subject of sex. Michael believes he and Agnes were married in a past life, which causes her to cry. I don't know why. He encourages her to get it all out, so to speak, since after tonight she will no longer be seen as a young woman. Spoiler, Michael is an asshole. Agnes and Michael throw back the covers to find a decorative pillow on which the phrase God is love has been embroidered. The pillow does nothing to improve the mood, but with some patience and tenderness, the lovers soon fall into each other's arms. Michael struts to the apron of the stage so he can share a secret with the audience. Unlike most married men, he actually loves his wife. I love my wife. How many times am I going to have to fucking hear that phrase? Ah, enough. Michael falls asleep while Agnes tidies up the room. Without warning, she is pregnant. Ah, massively, ludicrously pregnant. How did this happen? Where did the day go? Smash cut. Michael laid up in bed. He's been experiencing sympathetic labor pains as of late, which means Agnes has been waiting on him hand and foot. The man has a bell. He's an asshole. Agnes reassures Michael. She says, oh, you'll always be more important to me than our child. Nothing will ever change between us, my darling. Never, ever, 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 ever. The baby arrives soon thereafter. It's a boy. Michael is thrilled. Stop the world. I've always wanted a son. Ah, but the pressures of being a family man take a toll on Michael, and that weight only increases when Agnes gives birth to a daughter. 
You must man up, Michael. You have two children. Bring home the bacon and all that jazz. And bring it home he does. Michael becomes a hotshot novelist and a raging asshole. Not just a humdrum, normal, run-of-the-mill, mid-level asshole. He's a top brass asshole now. He begins to insult Agnes with alarming ease. Her clothes, her cooking, her inability to keep up with the jet set. Agnes fights back with her own collection of handy barbs, and the marriage proceeds to collapse. One night, during a particularly terrible row, Michael confesses to sleeping with a younger woman. Asshole. He lectures Agnes on the superiority of men, asshole, which leads her to imagine what life would be like as a carefree divorcee. Do you blame her? Agnes decides to leave. Do you blame her? Michael helps her pack, making sure to stuff the God is love pillow into her suitcase. Stupid fucking pillow. But when Agnes actually bolts, he physically drags her back into the bedroom in a moment of panic. He admits to feeling lonely. Oh, I'm so lonely. And Agnes manages to forgive him. Why? I don't know. The show says that it must be so. So, okay. Act 2. Where did the day go? It's New Year's Eve and Michael and Agnes are astonished to find their children are now teenagers. Michael is angry because their son has not yet returned from a party. He storms into the boys' room and finds a bottle of bourbon. My God! Uh, hey, wait a minute! The bourbon has been swapped out for castor oil, which means Agnes has been dispensing bourbon to their son for the past three years? I have no idea how any of this makes sense or why it's funny. Like, let's just take a second. Let's take my advice. Slow down. Let's consider this. Their son wanted to get fucked up on bourbon. Sure. So what does he do? He empties the bottle of castor oil and fills it with bourbon. Of course. The castor oil goes into the bourbon bottle. Duh. But then the bourbon bottle doesn't go back into the liquor cabinet? If it came from a cabinet at all, I suppose he could have bought a bottle of bourbon and, and then just hidden the empty bottle of bourbon... I, I don't know. See, this is where I'm confused. The son kept the bourbon bottle in his room. Why? Why is it in his room? I'm afraid to report to the Jenga Tower that is this gag has fallen. Who spoon feeds castor oil to their teenage son? <laughs> That's another question. I know it's the early 1900s, but come on. Michael exits the bedroom upon his son's return, fully prepared to beat the teen with a razor strap. He's an asshole. Ah, but the son is no longer a teen. He is a man wearing his father's tuxedo. Where did the day go? Flummoxed and forlorn, Michael and Agnes find solace in dreams of retirement. He wants to finish reading the works of Tolstoy. She wants to visit Tahiti and do the hoochie coo, quote unquote. Look, everyone's got a bucket list, all right? Let's try not to be too judgmental. Michael and Agnes attend their daughter's wedding and return to an empty nest. What happened to the son? Was he preparing to get married when he appeared in his father's tuxedo? Is that what we were going for? Where did the day go? Agnes declares for a second time that she is leaving Michael. She no longer loves him, which is a pretty good reason to leave your spouse, all things considered. Did I mention Agnes has fallen for a young poet? I picture Timothy Chalamet. 
Michael is unsurprisingly alarmed by this information. He presents Agnes with a bracelet bearing four charms. The first two charms represent our heroes, while the remaining two charms represent their children. Don't worry, there's plenty of room on the bracelet for grandbaby charms. Agnes is overwhelmed. She agrees to remain with Michael forevermore. Why? The show says so, so we must go with it. Where did the day go? Michael and Agnes are now old and gray and wrinkly as hell. The time has come to sell the house and move into an apartment. Michael finds the God is Love pillow while rummaging through a steam trunk. Agnes advises Michael to leave the pillow as a gift for the newlyweds who are about to move in. Michael objects. That pillow nearly ruined their wedding night. Stupid fucking pillow. Agnes asks Michael to fetch a bottle of champagne. Left alone, she proceeds to tuck the God is Love pillow under the bed covers. Michael returns with the champagne, but they decide to forego a drink as it is a bit too early in the day. Our heroes walk off stage, but Michael returns to put the bottle of champagne on the bed as a gift. He discovers the hidden pillow under the covers, and he decides to place it next to the champagne ah, before making his final exit. In the end, for the record, Jan de Hartog's play, The Four Poster, ends with the husband dying shortly after his wife succumbs to a terrible disease. Where did the day go? Okay, so for the purposes of this week's episode, oh, oh, I should say thank you so much to Robbie Roselle. Uh, Robbie was kind enough to send me the 1968 original London cast album of I Do, I Do, but unfortunately, I must admit this, time got away from me, and I have not yet had a chance to sit with it. Instead, I listened to the 1966 original Broadway cast album, and I watched the 1967 Tony Awards performance of Nobody's Perfect. This is by far the worst-looking Tony Awards YouTube upload I have ever encountered thus far. Preston and Martin are reduced to supernova silhouettes. They look... Man, that video is just... The quality of that video is abysmal. And the sound ain't much better. Here's a comment... Below that YouTube upload is a comment from Rob Seeger1886. Quote, I hope they do not remake this. The duo would be played by a mixed race tattooed transgender couple. Quote, here are some of the replies to that comment. Here's one. Wow, can you get more offensive? Here's another. Very funny and true. Okay, so we've got two sides of the aisle talking. Here's another one. You're so right, Rob. The sense of beauty and class is so absent today. Watching something like this makes the contrast so evident as to how far we've strayed from basic standards. If I may inter... Uh, I, no, I'm not interrupting. That was the end of that particular reply. I just want to point out how whenever anyone uses the word class when they're complaining about nobody has any class. Society is no longer classy. Just know that what they really want to say is white. Why isn't the world as white as it used to be? Why do I have to keep encountering black people and other people of color who I can't identify because I'm white and I don't wish to? Huh? Everybody's just not white anymore. Remember the days when it was white? Oh, that time was so classy. They're racist. Just, it's a dog whistle term. And here's, here's another reply. I think that would be a great idea. And the story wouldn't have to be changed in any way except for a bit of modernization. 
If the actors were charismatic and talented, then the gender or skin color of the actors doesn't matter. We live in a time where a statement such as yours is very inappropriate. And here's a reply to that reply. We live in a time where anything you say, no matter how truthful, is offensive to someone. These are legendary performers. Legendary! They show the mediocre culture of today just what the adjective great means. It would not be nearly the same or as classy and memorable today. Period! A lot of all-caps words throughout that response. Oh, you know, people just... It's the, it's the discourse, baby. Everybody's doing the discourse dance. <laughs> I'm just jamming, doing the discourse dance. Okay, let's talk about the score of I Do, I Do. Uh, Patty? Benny, I have not said hello to you, and that is on me. Patty and Benny are, of course, all the way out there in Chicago. I wish I could reach out to them and hold them close. Oh, I'm in Minneapolis. I feel so far away from you. But, Patty, Benny, if you could please play the first clip on our docket, it's time. It's time to talk about the score. coverage begins with Something Has Happened, which is the fourth track on the original Broadway cast album. And you might ask, what about the first three tracks, Jonathan? And to you, I would say, what about them? I'm sorry. There's no reason for me to yell. Uh, let's just move forward knowing that this is the first song worth talking about. Something Has Happened is hardly more than a glorified aside for Agnes. Agnes is pregnant. She is standing on the cusp of motherhood. And this song fizzles out in less than two minutes. 
A writer like Jerry Herman, for example, could have articulated this woman's emotions in a minute and 42 seconds, but Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt are falling well short of the Herman standard. Live in the moment, fellas, that's my advice. Luxuriate in it. Hammer out some honest-to-God beats for Mary Martin to work through. Create a path that she can walk down. She deserves a path. Here's a better song about impending motherhood from the canon of musical theater. The story goes on from Maltby and Shire's Baby. Baby will, of course, serve as the subject of a future episode. I don't want to get ahead of myself necessarily, but know this. The story goes on, maybe sappy, but it gives the performer room to think and breathe, which is something uh, that that this song, something has happened, does not do. Becoming a mom is a big deal and writers should approach the subject as if they are making a meal and not a snack. Love isn't everything. It cannot hire a nurse, nor fill an empty purse. Love cannot pay for milk, nor put the satin ruffles on her party dresses. Love isn't everything. It cannot sign the check for her piano lessons. Love kicks you once or twice, but when you pay the price, love is what makes it sorta nice, sorta nice, sorta nice, sorta nice. Baby dolls, mama dolls, safety pins, clothes. That's how the money goes. Midi blouse, petticoat, Buster Brown shoes. Gives you the money blue. Love keeps you on the go. But when you're feeling low, love is what keeps you humming. While all the bills keep coming, love is what makes it sort of fun, sort of fun, sort of fun, sort of fun. Love makes it sort of Now here's something I can work with. Love Isn't Everything is a playful doodad of a number. I like to bat it around like a cat. It amuses me. Like the rest of the score, it is mired in these mummified gender tropes, but for once the tropes are not doubling as weapons. And for that, I am grateful. I would much rather listen to Michael and Agnes sing about the cost of baby dolls than sit through one of their knockdown drag-out fights. You know how much I... Uh, even if it's presented to me in a comedic way, an argument, a musical theater argument, yeah, that's what I say, yeah, Y-U-H. The final 30 seconds of this number in which Martin and Preston cut loose while the orchestra cracks open like a piñata, that's actually fun, that's reasonably entertaining. I'm not having the time of my life or anything, but I am having a good time, and a good time ain't worth nothing. You give me Russian dressing, which I happen to detest. You grab the morning papers and you take the part that's best. Every night since we've been wed, you've worn cold cream into bed. Every night beneath the sheet, must you look like trick or treat? Hmm. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. I am human, so are you. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Now here is what we ought to plan to do. 
You take my list and see if you can't do a little better. You take mine and see if you can notice an improvement. Cause nobody's perfect, especially not you. Not you. Not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. Quote, you grab the morning papers and you take the part that's best. Quote, I am obsessed with this line from the song Nobody's Perfect. The song does not stop after this line, of course. Everyone keeps singing, but I'm no longer listening. The part that's best, what part is that? What part of the paper does Agnes like the best? Sports, opinion, the funny pages. You might think I'm uh, picking at a nit, but I'm not. This strikes me as yet another example of Jones and Schmidt not knowing how to write for women. Agnes is constantly expressing herself via platitudes, these artful abstractions that reveal almost nothing about her spiritually. And when we finally get a chance to learn something real about her, a basic preference, Jones and Schmidt go numb in the tongue, they blanch, they shrug. If you can't be bothered to write about the small things, you will never be good at writing about the big things. Ah! Every night, oh, here's another quote, quote, Every night since we've been wed, you've worn cold cream into bed. Every night beneath the sheet, must you look like trick or treat? Quote, the phrasing on that, ye gods, this is one of those lines where I basically know what they're going for, but it's so old-fashioned in its, in its presentation that I wind up doubting myself. It should be easy. I mean, yes, Agnes wears cold cream to bed. She looks like a monster, I guess. Monsters come out on Halloween, which is when kids say trick or treat. It's a long fucking drive, and the destination ain't worth the gas money, but I got there. Ugh. And the audience at the Tony Awards goes wild for this number, by the way. The laughs are loud and sustained and fairly sycophantic. Are you laughing because you actually enjoy the material? Or are you laughing for the sake of these major theatrical stars that you get to see live? The actors are being paid to perform, not us. Maybe just uh, evaluate the material. Be a little bit more objective. That's my Take an $85 hat. What do you think of that? 13 feathers of the pigeon family and a bird of paradise blue. I hid this hat for four whole years in this great big box at the foot of the bed. Right here in this very same room. But now my spouse it's out of the box and i'm gonna tell you what if i am going to go to pot this pot is gonna be hot say Who's that racy middle-aged lady peeking underneath her veil? Why don't you know that's flaming Agnes, her husband up and left? Who's that pale, available matron underneath the peacock's tail? Why can't you 
That's flaming Agnes, emancipated lady, used to find her sitting in the kitchen. Mousy housewife was her name. But the day her husband up and left her, Agnes started to flame. Now they say that nothing can save her. And they blame her husband for the blazing shame of flaming Agnes. You're not going to sit there and tell me flaming Agnes ain't about a woman who wants to have sex with other women. Agnes made love with Michael, but flaming Agnes fucks women. Michael can stuff his asshole with his own right thumb for all she cares. The all-you-can-eat roast beef buffet is open for business, and Flaming Agnes is going back for thirds. I don't actually give a crap about this song. If anyone was keeping track, Flaming Agnes, I, I no, I can't remember a note of it, but it is sort of funny to <laughs> spin my own reality, come up with my own story, which is more interesting than the one that I got. You know something, Agnes? Mm -hmm. I think maybe we're getting a little older. <laughs> Where are the snows of yesteryear? When did that double chin appear? Our boy will be 16 this year. How did the time slip by? Where are the snows of yesterday? We used to be quite bright and gay. Whoopee. Now every night at home we stay. How did the time slip by? Oh, what we, we were. We were something to see. Would you believe we used to be fancy and free? Where are the snows of yesteryear? When did my belt get out to here? Our daughter bought her first Brazil. How did the time slip by? Where are the snows? Nobody knows. How did the time slip? We used to be fancy and free. Where are the snows of yesteryear? I didn't see them disappear Then all at once Some souvenir Something from times gone by Touches me so I long to know How did the Time 
The question at the heart of our next number, Where Are the Snows, would feel more at home in a period musical like Lerner and Lowe's Camelot. Arthur and Guinevere reminiscing about the snows of yesteryear, that I can picture, but Michael and Agnes live in the 20th century, the early 20th century, admittedly, but still, I don't care how traditional they are. I realize engaging with a musical requires a certain suspension of disbelief, but no one talks like this unless they are living in a castle. But I don't mean to pick on Where Are the Snows too aggressively. I leaned in once the spotlight came to rest on Martin in the second half, which also happens to be when Philip J. Lang's orchestrations really start to shine. Grandeur is the word I would use. Grandeur! Houston, we have grandeur! I began... <laughs> I began to think of Camelot. I make myself laugh. It's fine. I began to think of Camelot again around this time and how Martin would have made a fine Guinevere. I may not be a fan of Camelot. I No, I'm not. But I know a match made in heaven when I see one. Call me Yenta. Houston, we have a matchmaker. When the kids get married, I'm going to play the saxophone. Practice till I master every golden tone. Then when I've got my sax in hand, I may form a little band. I, I wish they'd marry soon. When the kids get married, I'm going to try the violin. Something nice and simple, that's how I'll begin. Then when I finish Claire de Lune, I'll attack another tune. I, I wish they'd marry soon. Agnes, here's your fiddle. And Michael, here's your sax. Thank you. been waiting 30 years for this. When the kids <laughs> get married, we're gonna play for one and all. Maybe give recitals at Philharmonic Hall. Oh, we're, we're gonna, gonna be, be a, a double bill, the oldest team in Bonneville, if they don't Spend a year in bed. I'm gonna dye my hair bright red. And I'm gonna learn to shoot some golf. I'm gonna take my girdle off. Play the sax. Flare the loot. Take, take a second honeymoon. honeymoon. I wish they'd marry soon. Oh, Michael. Yeah. All right. I'm not a stone, okay? It's not like I'm some rock over here. I ain't no friggin' boulder. I'm permeable. I'm capable of levity and stuff. The section of When the Kids Get Married, in which our heroes play the fiddle and the saxophone, is obviously funny and endearing. These crackerjacks can barely scratch out a note. It's a hoot and a holler. I do, I do, is at its best when Michael and Agnes are getting along. Forget about their troubles, the money woes, and the extramarital affairs. They can work all of that out during intermission for all I care. Show me laughter, lust, loyalty. I know life ain't always peaches and cream. I'm not asking for a sanitized bit of theater here, but... <laughs> an even more sanitized bit of theater than we already got, but a dash of marital strife, a dash, goes a long way in the theater, and a surplus of squabbling is a surefire way to push me into a catatonic state. My daughter is marrying an idiot. How could she stoop so low? My daughter is marrying a nincompoop. 
She loves him, but even so. I thought I had taught her what to expect for someone as fine as she. A man with some fire, some brains, and some tact. Someone, in fact, like me. My daughter is marrying an idiot, the stupidest of men. And I wish she were just my own little girl again. Marriage is a sacrament, which is just a way to say that a very private thing is done in a very public way. You stand among your neighbors like a lamb before the slaughter and watch some village idiot take away your daughter. The groom has got a family that sits around and gapes and bears a strange resemblance to anthropoidal apes. I take some pleasure, I do, <laughs> meow, I take some pleasure in hearing Robert Preston say a word like nincompoop. He makes that word sound funnier than it already is, but the father of the bride falls apart when you realize it's a comedian with only one joke in their repertoire. Michael refers to his son-in-law as an idiot uh, no less than three times, I think, throughout this number. Once will get you an easy laugh, twice a resigned chuckle, maybe, thrice zip bupkis, my friend. And that line about the in-laws looking like apes is pretty fucking loaded for 1966. Oh, you don't like your in-laws, huh? You think they look like fucking apes, huh? You know who's laughing in the face of that joke? Whites. Smug whites with fat wallets. Enjoy the joke, whites! This is very strange Everything is changing Suddenly a door can slam This is very strange Suddenly we're strangers And I start to wonder Who I am What is a woman What is she made of Why is a woman Afraid of not being in love What is a woman what does she long for? Why is it wrong for a woman to be all alone? Young girls are April with rainbows and changes. One day they grow up and April is over forever to be a woman means being lonely that's why a woman is only alive when in love 
accuse me of picking another nit with this next uh, example, this next set of observations I'm about to present, but uh, we do, we need to talk about the lyrics Tom Jones wrote for What is a Woman? Ah, specifically, quote, To be a woman means being lonely. That's why a woman is only alive when in love. Quote, God, that stinks. It stinks. It does. Not only is it condescending, it's confusing. Well, it was the 60s. It was condescending back then. It's condescending now. And it's confusing. It's confusing because it's meaningless. To be a woman means being lonely. That would be a compelling thought if it was allowed to stand on its own. I think women do feel lonely. I feel like that's a fairly universal idea, sure. Uh, women are certainly made to feel that way by society, at least. You've got me thinking, my gears are turning, and then I hear, that's why a woman is only alive when in love. And that just mucks everything up. You took a strong declarative worthy of discussion and debate, and you turned it into a sexist aphorism. Why should Mary Martin have to work this hard, I ask? Rogers and Hammerstein didn't make her work this hard when they wrote South Pacific or The Sound of Music, huh? They knew how to write a straightforward, unassuming appeal to the heart. You never have to worry about parsing the intent of Rogers and Hammerstein. To be a woman means being lonely. That's why a woman is only alive when in love. That doesn't mean anything, Tom Jones. You are not smart. That's all I have to say regarding the score of I Do, I Do. It is now time to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Hello there, it's me again, Jennifer Tilly. Oh, I'm so happy to be doing another 5678 coffee ad, but I, oh my gosh, I have to tell you right now, Chucky, oh, he is so cute. He is so adorable. I just put him down for his nap. He had, oh my God, about five to seven uh, mugs of 5678 coffee. He has this little blood-stained mug that he loves to drink his coffee from. And I kept telling him, my God, you're gonna crash. You're gonna crash 
crush my Chucky. And he, oh, he just does not listen to me. He is such a menace. But I'm sure as all heck, he did crash and I had to tuck him into bed. And he is so sweet. Now, I just, I know I said that he was a menace, but he is just, when you see him tucked in under his little blanket and he has his bear, oh, his little blood-stained bear, it's so fun. Now, it's not real blood. Now, I, I know, I mail, I mail ordered a specialty bear that sort of has like a blood splatter pattern. It's not real blood. Don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. I know what's best for my Chucky, okay? I'm in the other room now. I just, I want to say that we're both fans of 5678 Coffee, of course. I'm going to need a lot of 5678 Coffee in the very near future because I, here's an announcement for you. Uh, to anyone following the development of Boop, the Boop Boop Badoosical that's going to premiere in Chicago, well, guess what? Guess who's playing Betty Boop herself? Yes, that's right. It's me, Jennifer Tilly. I'm going to wear the tight little red dress and I'm going to have the curly black wig and I'm going to go boop boop beep doop. That's how, oh, you like that? You like that, huh? Uh, here, I'll do it again for you. Lean real close. It's like an ASMR experience. Boop boop beep doop. Boop boop beep doop. Boop 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 boop. Yeah, you really like that, huh? Chucky, what are you doing out of bed? Oh, you heard me saying boop, boop, a doop. Oh, you wanted to come hear me sing? Who could blame you, Chucky? Okay, sit on my lap. No, don't say anything. No, no, no. If you talk, that means that they'll have to pay you too. And they're very stingy over there with... Oh, I shouldn't talk about that. Okay, so boop, boop, a doop, five, six, seven, eight, coffee. You can count on it. And I count on all of my gay fans to support me in Chicago when Boop, the Boop Boop Badoosical. That's the real tagline they're going with. The Boop Boop Badoosical. When that premieres in Chicago, I expect to see you all there. I know Chucky's gonna be there. Front row center. And I swear to God, if you are on your phone, if you unwrap a candy during... Oh, no, no, no. Chucky, yes, he's shaking his head. He doesn't like phones and he doesn't like candy. Okay? He will get rid of you so fast. They won't even have to pay the ushers. No, no. Now, now, little Chucky's gonna take care of everything. Isn't that right, Chucky? You look so tired. We need to get you back into bed. Okay, bye-bye. Boop-boop-be-doop. Boop-boop-be-doop. Boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop. Final thoughts regarding I do, I do. How does one stage I do, I do to ensure they never lose the attention of their audience? I have my conical director's cap on my head. I look like a dunce. I feel like a dunce because I have no idea how I would stage this show. I would be hard-pressed to add visual or physical flair to these numbers. It seems like anything that you tried to stuff into the recipe would just come off as a distraction. I mean, this show, these numbers, all of them involve the same two people moving about a unit set as if they were prisoners in a cell. To those who would dare to try and direct I Do, I Do, I salute you, I Do, I Do. Now, in 1967, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Cabaret, and the additional nominees that season were The Apple Tree and Walking Happy. We haven't talked about any of the shows from this set until today. Until today, of course. Uh, the question is, does Cabaret deserve to keep the medallion for Best Musical, or should we give it to I Do I Do, or The Apple Tree, or Walking Happy? No. No, 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 no. You give me that. How dare you take that, even, even for a moment. 
from Cabaret. Cabaret, you stick, you stick to that goddamn medallion like glue. None of these shows come anywhere close. I, I'm vaguely familiar with the Apple Tree. I've listened to the Apple Tree. Walking Happy, that is a that is a new subject for me. I have no reference for that, but. I just have a feeling that it's not going to, it, no, it's not going to push Cabaret off of its throne. So, Cabaret, don't you worry about a thing. Don't you worry about a thing. Let's rank I Do, I Do against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast. As always, if you want to take a look at this ranking of ours, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod, access our link tree. Ah, you'll find our spreadsheet on the second tab of which is that ranking. I Do, I Do shall, oh, you shall go. Right here at number 119. Yes, that's your number, baby. You're going between Sugar Babies at 118 and Blues in the Night at 120. I do have one announcement to make in regards to a change. I made a change. Avenue Q, which was formerly at number 117 on this list, is now number 123. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Beep boop ba boop boop. Bye bye, Avenue Q. I'm sorry. The more I think about you, I I just I saw Avenue Q at 117 and I thought, no 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 no. <laughs> what? No, too high. Let's just let's just make sure that 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 Bush era goddamn bullshit nonsense. Everybody's a little bit racist, but don't do anything about it. Stop telling people that they're not allowed to be racist. Stop telling your aunts and uncles to stop making racist jokes. Uh, <laughs> Fuck that show. Okay, uh, what are we doing now? Show-related ephemera. I have three pieces of ephemera for you. The first is a clip of Mary Martin singing Anything Goes from the 1950 studio cast album of Anything Goes. I found this and I thought, well, I mean, it's not like we're going to talk about Anything Goes here in the main feed. No, it was not nominated. It did not win a Best Musical Award because it was too early for that, right? Too early in the timeline. So why Why not hear anything goes right here and now? Mary Martin, take it away! Times have changed And we've often rewound the clock Since the Puritans got a shot When they landed on Plymouth Rock shock they would try to stem instead of landing on Plymouth Rock Plymouth Rock would land on this In olden days a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking Now heaven knows anything goes Good authors too who once knew better words now only use three letter words writing Silly gigolo So though I'm not a great romancer I know that I'm bound to answer When you propose Anything goes In olden days A glimpse of stocking Was looked on to something shocking Now heaven knows Anything goes Good authors too Who once knew better words Now only use three letter words Writing prose Anything goes the world has gone mad today. 
today and days nine today when most guys today that women prize today are just say gigolo so though i'm not a great romancer i know i'm bound to answer when you Yes, in olden days, they changed the lyrics. I think she says three-letter words instead of four-letter words. That show was changed so much and so often that at this point I'm not surprised when I when I notice the changes uh, from track to track, from album to album, I should say. What is this second piece of ephemera I have for you? It's Robert Preston singing a song from 1962. This was the official theme for John F. Kennedy's youth fitness program, okay? So they played this song in gymnasiums all over the country. Elementary, middle, and high schools would listen to this song, and they would do exercises. Robert Preston is singing this song, and he's leading you in exercises. What is the name of the song? It's Chicken Fat, and I hope I gave you enough context, because where I'm going to drop you into this song, you're going (laughs) to... If you don't understand what this is, you would be completely baffled. Even though you have the info, I think you're going to be baffled. Chicken fat, let's go. Buck, buck. And halt on your feet. Up, quickly, quickly, next. Inhale, arms, sweep up, inward. Exhale, arms, out and down. Inhale, arms, sweep up, inward. Exhale, upward, down. Ready, inhale, slow. Everyone. Exhale, clear down. Inhale. Chicken fat, go! Arms up, fist to the armpits, do a wing, do the wing. Uh uh uh. <laughs> I used to do improv, can you tell? Our final piece, so oh, this one's sad, I should be more serious. Mary Martin sings My Cup Runneth Over from I Do, I Do at the 1987 Tony Awards as a tribute to the late Robert Preston. He had recently passed away. Here is Mary Martin singing as part of his Tony Awards tribute. Thank you very, very, very much. All my life has been full of circles. People who have been in my life always seem to come back sometime years later. And this happened with Robert Preston and his wife, Catherine. We met at Paramount Studio, and I had made a picture with Robert called New York Town. He had just married Catherine, who was a lovely actress. And I had just married story editor of Paramount, Richard Halliday. And one day, years later, our circle would bring us all together again, but this time in New York City, in a musical called 
I do, I do. The story of a marriage of 50 years. I would like to sing this song, this last song, in that show for Catherine, for Richard, and for Robert from his agonist, me. This has been a very good house ever since we married. It has kept both of us cozy and warm this has been a very good house it has been our shelter and it's seen many a To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Thatcher, My Darling. Everyone ready? Then away we go! The next subject of the main feed is a big one. It's the 1955 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 1,063 performances. Uh, what is it? The pajama game is the game I'm in. And the pajama game is something, something, something. I love it! <laughs> <laughs> the Pajama Game is our next main feed subject, and that coverage, that episode, will drop June 7th, okay? So you have to wait a bit for it, but once we get there on June 7th, you're gonna get all the pajamas you could ever want. Pajama Payama. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. We love our patrons and we want more, more patrons. Consider signing up for the $1, $3, $5, or $10 a month tier. What do you get with the $1 a month tier? Patreon, huh? You get benefits, you get access to extra material, right? You're damn right. You get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. As a $1 a month tier donor, you get a verbal shout out each and every week. Thank you so much for donating at least $1 a month. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marques, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. $1 a month tier donors also get 19 bonus episodes. What are those episodes about? Well, we talked about 
about the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, The Little Mermaid Alive. We do a full review of the film Cats. Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration. Hamilton via Disney Plus. Documentary Now, original cast album, co-op. John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Arlo the Alligator Boy. The trailer for the 2021 adaptation of West Side Story. Vivo. The Tony Awards present Broadway's Back. Diana. Annie Live. The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. And Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration. You also get 12 episodes. That's season one of Radio Boy, a series dedicated... uh, No, not dedicated. It's... How, how do I put this? Oh, it's a series for which, uh, d- during which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself. It's essentially an audio diary. I'm working through some things. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> you also get all 16 episodes in M3, The Movie Musical Man, a series for which we watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by common themes. Let's move up to the next tier. $3 a month will get you everything I've described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. All 10 episodes episodes in Wildcats Everywhere, that's the High School Musical podcast, and a special one-off all about Julie and the Phantoms. We're also running a brand new series in this tier right now. It's called TV VIP. It's dedicated to musical television shows. We've talked about, what have we talked about? Schmigadoon, Central Park, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. The next episode, which is dropping on June 7th, is dedicated to the brand new Hulu series up here. Yes, it's true. $5 a month will get you everything I've already described. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. You get seasons one and two. That's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. The Phantom of the Opera is is fielding questions from the villains of musical theater, the so-called villains, I should say. It's been a while since I've really explained that part of the show, but it's a lovely show. It's a delightful show. The Phantom is a friend of ours. Broadway in Chicago. Oh, you get our full Broadway in Chicago review series. There's 14 episodes in that series, and you get volumes one through five of Shout About It. These are collections of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 125 episodes of the show. So if you like that part of the show in the main feed, you can find all of those segments put together in nice little packages tied up with string. $10 a month will get you everything I've already described. Plus, you get exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. You get season one, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a show dedicated to Broadway shows that were Broadway musicals, I should say, that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. So an example of a show from this past season that would be in The Snub Club uh, is K-pop, for example. K-pop, I believe, was nominated for Best Original Score, but strangely did not get into the Best Musical category. And finally, in this $10 a month tier, you get all 12 episodes in Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review of the show. If you're streaming the show, that could be through Spotify, Stitcher, Audible. We're also on Podbean, Musical Podbean. No, (laughs) musicalmanpod.podbean.com. 
Follow us on Twitter at MusicalManPod and email me at MusicalManPod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Patty and Benny in the booth. Oh, the stage left studio booth all the way out there in Chicago. And thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo. And thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night. and forlorn, Michael and Agnes find solace in dreams of retirement. He wants to finish reading the works of Tolstoy. You've got a friend in me. Tolstoy. You've got a friend in me. Tolstoy. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. Tolstoy. You just remember what your old past said. Boy, you Story.